Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. When my news director asked me to anchor the weekend show before the birth of my baby, so I was going to be induced at 6 a.m. on a Monday. I anchored all the way through to Friday, thought, okay, I've got the weekend to prepare before I'm a new mom. And she basically told me that my viewers would forget who I was if I didn't do what she was asking, which was to anchor the weekend evening news before I had the baby. I here's what's nuts, Allison, is I said yes. And I think a lot of us in TV understand that weird pressure yeah. to say yes. And I anchored the 10 p.m. news on Sunday night, which went till 10.30. I had to do a couple things at the station before 11, got home by midnight, and by 5 a.m. I was on the road to the hospital to have a baby. It's insane. That's nuts. And yet we do it. And I said, yes. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Allison Lester, Director of Media Relations at Fletcher Marketing PR, sitting in for our CEO, Kelly Fletcher, today. And I'm really excited about today's guest and conversation. For those of you who've listened to the podcast before, you know a little bit about my background. I'm a, a former broadcast news journalist who escaped the broadcast news world a couple of years ago and came over to PR and connected with today's guest on LinkedIn. And she has a similar background to me, but but she was on camera, whereas I was in the management ranks. So Sarah Davenport is joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Allison, for having me. I always love to talk to other TV newsies because we really understand the ins and outs and the burnout yes. that is the broadcast industry today. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you describe yourself as... Well, you just said it, a burnout anchor. You were in a top 10 market at one point in your career. And like many of us, former journalists, decided that you wanted a different life. And you've now taken your news exit and turned it into a career. You're a media mentor, a career coach, a LinkedIn expert. We're going to get your advice on LinkedIn today for all of our PR pros listening. So I've listened to another podcast with you recently, and I've, I've followed your story a bit on, on social. And so first thing that I want you to tell us about is your TV journey, because it started at a very young age. I think the first time I was actually on camera, I was 48 hours old. <laughs> so my mom was one of the first TV anchors in the industry back in the 70s, early, early 70s. And so I grew up in the industry. I grew up in front of the camera and behind the camera. And I just idolized my mom and the career that she had and the impact that she made as a journalist. Now, like I said, back in the 70s and 80s, the heyday of TV news, right? Very different. Fast forward to today, completely different industry. It's not one that I would actually recommend my kids to go into. And the funny thing is, years past, my mom told me, she begged me, she said, Sarah, the news industry is changing. It's not one that you're accustomed to. I don't like the direction it's going. I don't think you're going to want to do it. And like an awesome daughter, I didn't listen. <laughs> and I jumped in full force. In fact, I think it was a month or six weeks after I graduated, I had my first job on air. And it's kind of like the rest is history. Yeah. So fast forwarding, how many years were you in the industry? Oh, gosh, uh, not quite two decades. Okay. I still actually... Technically, I'm. I'm a freelance journalist for the true crime industry. Uh, someone just texted me the other day. They said, I just sat down on my seat here on United and turned on the little TV in the back of the headrest, and there you are on HLN. So oh. I'm like, oh, I'm flying the friendly skies now, apparently. <laughs> so I still do some journalism. Didn't yeah. know I was 
near doing it, but it's not my full-time gig. Right. So what was the final straw? Gosh, the final straw. It's funny. A lot of people in television news keep saying like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. I'm leaving before the November book. I'm out by February before the February book. I can't handle it anymore. For me, when I was pregnant, I think it was my third son. And I anchored the morning show in Houston. And I finally made it to a top 10. I was making great money. From the outside, my life looked awesome, right? The big house, the cars, the boats, the kids, the living nannies, all the things. And behind closed doors, I mean, honestly, being very transparent to your listeners, I was in tears Sunday night. Mm. I didn't know what was next. I didn't know what else to do. This is all I ever knew. Like I said, I grew up wanting to be in TV. And when my news director asked me to anchor the weekend show, before the birth of my baby. So I was going to be induced at 6 a.m. on a Monday. I anchored all the way through to Friday, thought, okay, I've got the weekend to prepare before I'm a new mom. And she basically told me that my viewers would forget who I was if I didn't do what she was asking, which was to anchor the weekend evening news before I had the baby. And here's what's nuts, Allison, is I said yes. And I think a lot of us in TV understand that weird pressure yeah. to say yes. And I anchored the 10 p.m. news on Sunday night, which went till 1030. I had to do a couple things at the station before 11, got home by midnight. And by 5 a.m., I was on the road to the hospital to have a baby. It's insane. That's nuts. And yet we do it. And I said yes. And at that point, during maternity leave, my husband's like, there's got to be something else. Right. Like, this is crazy that... The mental struggle, the mental health issues that are incurred, not just by that situation, but in general in TV. I mean, there's so many reasons that there's just a mass exodus right now in television. Yeah. You talked about tears on Sunday nights, the Sunday scaries. Oh, my gosh. It took, you know, a few months of being outside of the TV news industry until one day I kind of just realized like, oh, my gosh, I haven't had the Sunday scaries in weeks. When did that stop? I, I kind of thought, because I was in, in that world for 13 years, that that was just normal, that that was everyone, that everyone hated Mondays so much that it created this really anxious Sunday night. And then when I would start talking about it to people outside of the industry, they were all like, that's not normal. Like, that's an anxiety disorder. <laughs> and it's, But it's just something for us newsies that like we all, we all talked about the Sunday scaries. And so it is normal because it's something we talked about. We talked about it with our photographers, with our producers, when we all dealt with it. I realized right around 5.30 or 6 is when I get a pit in my stomach on Sundays. Yep. And it just wouldn't go away. And I found myself almost every Sunday night thinking, like, what else is out there? What else could I do? But it's, you know, the golden handcuffs, right? The bigger the market, the better the pay. And then your identity gets tied up in your career in TV. And I understand that it happens in a lot of careers but it's not as common as it is in TV news. Yes, I wrote a blog post for, for the Fletcher team when I first joined the team and got out of news. And I talked about that specifically. The My identity was so closely tied to what I did that it took some time of realizing that it was a piece of who I was, but it was not all that I am. And it's one of those careers that when you meet people, it's one of the first things you tell them about yourself. You know, I'm a journalist. And, you know, the, the look that goes, especially if you're an anchor, you know, it's you, people know you, they recognize you. And there's a lot of pride in that and pride in the work that we did in serving our communities. But I think that for many of us, the sacrifices became too much. 
Well, and pride also can turn into ego, right? right? And there's massive ego in TV. And for a lot of people, they don't recognize it. Honestly, a lot of the journalists are like, yes, I am so-and-so from Kate, blah, 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 whatever station, right? And they're, and it's when they are ready to transition out of TV news that they go, oh, wait, who am I outside of this? And they realize they have this ego. How do you get over? How do you get past the ego, past the pride? Like, how do you become more humble and more real, Right. Right. You said that you, you know, had a moment while you were on maternity leave where your husband en- encouraged you to to listen to what your body and your mind were telling you. Talk a little bit more about that and finally making the decision and delivering the news to your newsroom. <laughs> so I knew that I needed a plan B. And it's funny, we'd had a hurricane during that pregnancy. And I live in Houston, so hurricanes are kind of the norm here. Sure. And we had a massive hurricane and I basically was like sleeping under my desk or in an edit bay. Yeah. Which is nuts. Okay. I was pregnant, sleeping under my desk or in an edit bay. And again, we just think this is normal. I mean, no one in the real world thinks that's normal, but I did. So I'm getting ready to go back on the air. We'd go on the air for about eight hours straight, right? No commercial break. And then the afternoon anchors would take over. Then the evening anchors through the night. And we'd come in probably around 2 a.m., do eight hours straight you're pregnant, you need some bathroom breaks. So they're telling the meteorologist like, stretch, stretch, they're still in the bathroom, right? But my co-anchor turned to me at that time. He said, what's your plan B? I'm like, what's my plan B? Like, I don't have a, this is, because remember, my mom was a TV anchor. She didn't have a plan B. Like, why would I need a plan B? So during maternity leave, that's when I really started getting deep into what is my plan B? I started doing a lot of reading. I mean, when you're up nursing a baby at all hours of the night, mm-hmm. I decided to do a lot of reading. And I got really interested in multiple streams of income and what I could do so I would never have to just deal with one boss or one career forever. My mom left television to open up her own production company and then became a state senator and went on as a majority whip. She even has a law written after her in New Jersey. I had no interest in that right? No interest. I'm not getting into politics, right? You wrestle with pigs, you both get dirty and the pig loves it. Not (laughs) my mom's favorite saying. And my father was an entrepreneur. And so I thought, what could I do? And so I started a couple of different kind of side hustles while I was on maternity leave, figuring out like, where do my passions lie? Where do my talents lie? Like, what does all this look like? And I decided to pull the plug and actually not even go back after maternity leave. I walked out during my maternity leave because I knew for my mental health and for the health of my kids. And I wanted to be a present parent. It's very difficult to raise children if you're a female. It just is. And, you know, breaking news, a hurricane's coming 2 a.m. Where am I taking my kids to daycare at 2 a.m.? Right? Right. And my husband would travel. He was in oil and gas. He would be in another country. So it just didn't make sense anymore. And so I started figuring out how to tie in all my passions. And so some freelancing, I I worked in the social selling industry. I did some copywriting and I did a lot of different things until I found what I loved, but I've always kept multiple streams of income. They say most millionaires have seven streams of income. And I thought, well, right now I have TV. My husband has oil and gas. That's two. Hmm. We've got a ways to go. So I really then started doing a deep dive into what can that look like? If you don't have the money to go, invest in property and real estate when people think of multiple streams of income. Like, What else can you do? There's so much out there. And I actually teach on that quite a bit right now. I run something called the Breaking Out of Breaking News Academy. And Mm -hmm. I want to empower the journalists who are in my academy to think outside the box. Right. You know, you talked about motherhood, which is something that is 
a little new to me. I, I became a stepmom in 2020. And that was really kind of the impetus in, in my leaving. I had talked about it for a couple of years. And then we had a, a pretty horrific breaking news situation happen here where a, a teenager was shot and killed by a police officer inside of a school. And my 10-year-old at the time is in the house. We're working remotely because of COVID. So I'm having to take all of the Zoom calls in the basement because I'm thinking to myself, my 10-year-old cannot be listening to the nitty-gritty about a police officer killing a kid in a school. Like, regardless of the situation, he's not going to understand this. And that's kind of, was kind of my light bulb moment of like, this no longer makes sense for my life. You know, I, I can't do both at the same time. And now that I have a newborn at home, oh my gosh, I cannot imagine trying to do holiday schedules and breaking news assignments and all of the things that I did with a newborn at home. It would be insane. But there are a lot of other reasons that people leave the industry too. And, and you've talked to probably hundreds, if not more at this point, of former journalists and current journalists who are considering leaving. So what are you know some of the biggest reasons that people are exiting the industry that you're hearing? I actually, through LinkedIn, I, I actually have a little featured section where I say, if you want to reach out and talk about TV or look, you know, look at possibilities, you can book a call with me here. I probably have five to 10 calls a week from journalists going, I want out. And the story, while very different, is all the same. It's the same story. And the biggest reasons I'm seeing, number one is pay. The pay is ridiculous. You make more money doing fries at five guys than you do starting out in journalism. Yeah, I live in the South, and so we've got Bucky's here, right? Everyone talks about Bucky's. Oh, yeah. Fever nuggets and all the Bucky stuff, right? For the people who clean restrooms in Bucky's, they make more than starting TV reporters in many stations across the U.S. So when you really think that through, that's insane. You're putting your life on the line a lot of times. Oh, yeah. I was on the phone with a friend of mine who is a reporter in Philadelphia. They were in crossfire. She and her photographer are basically hiding behind a car in crossfire in a crazy shootout. And she's like, this isn't worth it for what I get paid. This is nuts. So that's one thing is the pay. The second, and it kind of goes along with that, is the mental health. So you are sent to a scene of a shooting, let's say like that example, and God forbid somebody is killed at that shooting and you see all this go down. Now, the police officers, the first responders, they have counselors they work with. They have mental health experts in their back pocket as first responders. In TV news, it doesn't exist. I remember one of my very first live shots when I was probably 21 or 22 in upstate New York, in Utica, New York, and there was a house fire and there were people on the second floor screaming and screaming and that you could see the smoke billowing out. And then suddenly the wife wasn't screaming and the husband's screaming, screaming, and suddenly he's not screaming. You realize, I just watched two people die. Oh my gosh. And as a 22-year-old, how do you process that? Well, what do you do? You go back and the next day, they're like, all right, we're covering Christmas shopping and it's, you know, whatever the big toy is today. Go out to the mall and get a man on the street interview. And you're like, wait a minute. So that, and it, it's 10 times worse today, right? What you're covering. I'm thinking about, you know, obviously with war starting right now. And I mean, just all of the unrest internationally. And I feel for the journalists who are there and who are covering it. They have a job to do. My hope is that these newsrooms and these news organizations would realize it's a huge issue they need to address. Right. You're so right on. So you 
talk a lot about the reasons that people leave. And I think that, you know, this is obviously a podcast more for, for PR professionals. I think it's really important as PR pros, we work very symbiotically with, with journalists to kind of understand the struggles that the person on the other side of that email is going through. And so many people from the TV side end up coming over to PR. And you really help to coach people to, to find what that plan B is, as you said. So talk a little bit about how you coach people into finding your passion and what that looks like. So obviously PR, media relations, communications, those type of roles are your typical roles that journalists will go into, partially because they don't know what else is out there, partially is because they go, well, this is what I'm familiar with. I've seen other people do it, so I'm just going to follow along. And for many people, it works out wonderfully, right? Like for you, you've loved your career in PR. For others, they go, but what if I don't want to? Mm-hmm. What else is out there? And that's where they get stuck, right? And then you look at what the hiring world looks like. So I am very tied in, in my Breaking Out of Breaking News Academy. I've got resume experts. I've got HR experts in there. A lot of people that we work with to help TV newsies, first of all, formulate a resume that doesn't say co-produced the 6 and 11 or, you know, went live at 5 and 10. Like that doesn't translate to any other industry, but the skills do. The skills transfer. There's so many amazing skills, but they don't know how to write a resume for those industries. And that's why I've created this partnership inside my academy so I can really help them get off in the right step. But you can't create a resume or even jump on LinkedIn until you know where do you want to go with all this? Like, what is your passion, right? And so that's where we really start. I spent a year before I founded my academy working with experts to put together a career assessment test. And it's made specifically for journalists. Because if they think, well, just PR, do they really know what PR is? And they think, no, I don't want to do PR. And then they dive into it and go, oh, this actually is cooler than I thought. I'm not just writing a press release and just pitching a story. There's so much more to it. Others go, I just don't know what excites me at all. And I'm afraid I'm not going to find a career I love outside of TV news. That's probably the biggest thing I get all the time. I'm afraid I'm not going to find a career I love. I don't know how to write my resume. And what's up with this LinkedIn? I'm used to doing reels. What's all this LinkedIn stuff? And so once I created this career assessment test for journalists, it really helped put people down on the right path because there is not one set path for journalists. You have so many skills so many skills, soft and hard skills that are transferable into so many different industries. So if you feel like I don't want to be in a box, you don't have to be. But you do have to learn some of the basics of what real world job searching looks like because it's very different from TV news. Yeah, it definitely is. The, the way that you climb up the ladder in TV news and get new jobs is, is completely different than it is anywhere else in the world. And I'm a member of a Facebook group that is specifically women leaving the TV industry to join PR. And so many share their resumes there. And it's just what you said. It's wrote stories for the website and produced a fast paced newscast at 6 p.m. that won the ratings. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, gosh, Ooh. no one who's, who's looking to hire you for a government communication role is going to understand how those skills are really more transferable than you're giving yourself credit for. That's exactly right. And, and, and that's where people sit on the sidelines for so long is they don't have the right resume. And then they don't understand that when you're looking for any job, and this, is, this will apply to any of your listeners right here. When you're looking to make a move, the number one thing, the very first thing a hiring manager does when they get your resume in their hand is they go to LinkedIn. 100%. Who are you showing up on LinkedIn? And these 
TV newsies are like, here's my latest A block. Here yeah. I am my Emmy. Like <laughs> that does not work, people. And so I spent a lot of time teaching them about LinkedIn because that's what I did during COVID. So you were in your basement working on newscasts. I was doing a deep dive and becoming a LinkedIn expert so that I could train others to do what I do and to understand what an amazing platform it is. Now, I got to tell you, this is so funny. My husband thinks I'm nuts. He goes, most, you know, women staying at home with their kids, we have four kids, are like all into Facebook or Instagram. And then those are people are getting into TikTok. And you, like your favorite sandbox to play in is LinkedIn. I'm like, yes, it lights me up. Like I love LinkedIn. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so if I can spread some of that excitement and it comes through understanding how to use it, it's not just a networking tool. It's not just a place to go and, and find a new job. There's so much more to it. Well, you're 100% right. As a person who was the hiring manager for years and years and hired I'm not even sure, but probably close to 100 different people over over the seven years that I was a hiring manager. It's definitely the first place that you go. I mean, I would go to their Facebook page, too, just to make sure there were no red flags. But you always go to the LinkedIn. It's where I go now before I I pitch stories. I use it a lot and I don't uh, market myself on it the way that I should, but I do use it as a tool a lot. And so take a few minutes and just give us the lowdown on the best tips about how to be best utilize the platform and how people are underutilizing it. So first things first, if you have a LinkedIn with that gray banner behind you, or you picked one of LinkedIn's banners, it's like black and colorful little shapes that screams amateur, that screams, you have no idea what you're doing. So please, first things first, get a good banner up there and they're easy to create. You can go to Canva. You don't even need a pro account. Just go to Canva. Here's a pro tip for you though. When you do go to Canva to create your LinkedIn banner, don't choose one of the banners that come up in the first three or four rows. Everybody will choose those banners and you will look like everybody else. So scroll down, find a banner that really excites you and ties into whatever it is that you do and then change it up, change the colors, change the fonts, change what words are on there. There's so many things. So your banner, you got to uplevel your banner. Next thing is your headline. If you are in PR, don't put, you know, PR pro boring. What? Like that doesn't excite me. Do something that excites me. My headline, and this is off the top of my head, but burned out broadcaster who got tired of the ratings race, leading others who want a new life. So that tells what I do without saying, I'm a career transition coach for the TV news industry. Boring, right? Find a unique way. Those first seven words that you use on your headline are what follow you around. So make sure they're super interesting. Now, I do a lot of LinkedIn coaching, not just for my clients in the Breaking Out of Breaking News Academy, but actually for several different big LinkedIn organizations, including one that charges $5,000 to learn LinkedIn. I go in there and I do audits of profiles. I do audits of content. And I often find that people will put up a good banner. They'll get a decent headline. They'll go, that's good. Call it a day. And then I look at their about section. And what is their about section? It literally is a recap of their experiences. Again, boring. You have a chance to sell yourself, to really set yourself apart, and you're recapping your resume. So there are a lot of nuances. And then, of course, all the things that you can do with it. I mean, like I said, we could be here for hours, Allison, but hopefully those people, like some of my favorite tips to at least level up your LinkedIn. And then there's, like I said, so much more you can do. I'm sitting here like looking at my LinkedIn as you're saying all of this, like, oh no, my banner is just, you know, 
a cool mural that I found and my about me section is is could probably use a little a little work and yeah so there's so many ways to use LinkedIn to stand out and then of course to stand out as a thought leader so there are 900 million users on LinkedIn and less than four percent are actually posting and of those people posting they're not posting the right material so I actually have formulated a whole LinkedIn strategy. Like once you get your LinkedIn leveled up and it's spit shined, as my grandfather used to say, it's spit shined, it looks great. What's next, right? And so I do have a strategy to really build it out. I only have 3,000 connections. Now I have almost 6,000 followers. There's a difference between that. We could get into that later, but I only have 3,000 people I've connected with. Most of my posts are seen by 20,000 to 100,000 eyeballs. And that's the power of LinkedIn, right? It spreads from one generation to the next, to the next. I used to say it spreads like Ebola. That's not lovely. So I'll say it spreads like glitter, okay. right? It just spreads yeah. like glitter and it just keeps on going. And that's the power of LinkedIn. I have content that I put out two weeks ago that I'm now getting comments on. That's not how Facebook works. You put something on Facebook and it goes down and down and down. And down. You're right. It's not how Instagram work, right? So, and TikTok, you put it out there and who knows who's seeing what. I've curated a specific niche of people and I only let certain people in my swim lane. That's why I only have 3,000 connections. I probably have 30 people who ask to connect with me each day, but I'm very specific with my swim lane. Well, I feel so privileged to be <laughs> in your swim lane, Sarah. <laughs> I love it. So obviously a lot to learn about, about LinkedIn. And I think that, you know, you work a lot with people who may be becoming entrepreneurs about ways that they should use LinkedIn to get a new job. But But it's also such an important marketing and branding tool. And it can go beyond just the individual entrepreneur. These same strategies can really be applied to your business page. It is, you know, like you've called it, it's the landing page for the, the brand identity on LinkedIn. And most people don't realize, like they don't think through like how, what do I want my digital identity to be? Like, because we think, and I remember myself, like I'm, I'm Sarah Davenport with NBC News. I'm Sarah Davenport. No, no, no. I am my own person. So how do I want to show up? Who am I? What is my brand? And that's not something anyone thought about 10 years ago. It's who do you work for, right? And that's that was kind of your brand, your identity. And so now we're realizing we need to brand ourselves of who are we? What do we believe in? What do we do? What do we do well? What can we share with the world? What kind of content, what kind of value can we put out there into the world that adds value to others, right? What kind of content that adds value to others? So that comes all under that brand, but your LinkedIn profile is your landing page and they should be able to tell from one quick, literally five to 10 second scroll, who you are, what you do and where you're going with all of this, right? Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. You know, you also talk about people building their resumes and, and transferable skills and how to make yourself marketable, as, especially as a former journalist, not using things like produced the 6 p.m. news. Although good for you, you produced the 6 p.m. news, but there's so much more to it than that. But you also talk about don't include on your resume the things that you can do, but don't want to do. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So one of my academy members I was working with, she's like, you know, I've been an MMJ, multimedia journalist. Back in the day, they called it a one-man band. Uh -huh. Said, I, I can shoot and edit. Like, no problem. But I don't want to edit anymore. I'm like, great. Then don't take a role where editing's involved. I was working with someone who actually got into PR and didn't love it. Wanted out. Didn't know what was next. 
And I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. She went, I do PR for the railroad here in Texas. I go, oh my gosh, you love trains, right? And she goes, I hate trains. I'm like, well, then why are you in PR for a train company, right? <laughs> so they're not thinking things through. A lot of people just jump to jump. And I still see that. I mean, today I was talking with a producer out of New York City who's in my academy. She said, well, you know, I've only been in the academy for 10 days. Okay, they've got three months when they join. Been in 10 days and I just, I just want to apply everywhere. I don't really care. She sent me her top 10 jobs and then we work on her resume. I'm like, wait, what do you know about Deloitte? Like what, what about Deloitte would interest you? I don't know. It's just a, a mass com. It's a, it's a comms job. It's communications. Yeah. But if you don't love what they stand for, if you don't, it doesn't resonate. You're not going to be happy. And so I tell people, if you're going to make a career switch and especially um, an industry switch, right? Not just a job switch, but an industry switch. You need to figure out who you are outside of what you're currently doing. What are your passions? What are your talents? So your talents are your God-given skills, right? Your passions are what light you up. Because my goal is I want to help people find a new career that when their feet hit their floor on Monday mornings, they're like, yes, it is Monday. Because everyone else out there is like, woo, TGI Friday, let's go. It's Saturday. And then Sunday. And then it's like, okay, it's Monday. No, no, no. I want you to be like, yes, it is Monday. I'm so stoked to be working wherever I am or doing whatever I'm doing. Cause that's how I feel right now, Allison. And I, and I don't, we get one life, right? That's it. And it, this is very relevant when my husband was diagnosed with cancer about 10 years ago, he's healthy now, but he was diagnosed with colon cancer. We had four little children and I'm going, wait, what? How, how do I handle all of this? Once we got through his diagnosis and through his surgery and his recovery and all those things, I realized like he was young, you know, he wasn't a 50 year old guy or a 60 year old guy. He was in his early forties. And I realized why would you spend your life doing something you don't love? Gone are the days of what our grandparents or maybe even our parents did, which was work for 40 hours a week for 40 years and you get the $40 watch when you retire, right? So you're going to switch a lot of careers, but why not find the ones that light you up? Why not do something that excites you? So that's what I work with all of my academy members is I'm not going to let you just take a job. Like you're going to find something that really excites you and maybe build out some other streams of income along the way. So if it doesn't work out, you don't have to stress. You've got other things to fall back on. And taking some risks. You know, I think that as journalists, we were so linear in our thinking. That's like for me, I went the producer route. And so very traditional five years producing until I was producing the number one show at a market in Huntsville, Alabama, then Denver, Colorado, top 20 market. That was my next step. Then I went from that to a smaller market to be the executive producer in Savannah, Georgia, then Knoxville to be the assistant news director at the number one station. And so my, it's the same path that so many news managers take. You hop around, you go down a market to go up a position, then you go up a position. And then for me, it was always, I'm gonna be a news director going to be a news director one day. Duh, that's what I'm going to do. And this is my career line. And I remember my husband telling me like, your next move doesn't have to be the next 13 years or what you do for the rest of your life. It's, it's okay to do something and learn if it lights you up and learn some new skills and learn some, learn if that's something that you're passionate about. Do it for five years, do it for two years, do it for 10, you know, whatever that may look like, but to not put ourselves into such a a hole that's like, oh gosh, well, I was going to do TV journalism and now I decided I don't want to do that anymore. So 
my plan B is obviously going to be the next 20 years because that's the way that my brain's wired. Right, right. Yeah, that's so true. And I just realized, I think we worked at the same station, just different times. Yes. You worked at WBIR, right? I did. I anchored live at five with Russell Biven for years and Beth took over. So Beth was my reporter and I was the main anchor. So actually I was there when Russell started. We helped hire him because we knew he'd be so great at it. And yeah, I'm still very close with both of them. Well, our listeners are going to recognize both of those names. Beth and Russell are two of my favorite people, and both of them are no longer at WBIR as we talk about the churn in the industry. And all the changes. And from when I was there, and it's funny, people ask me all the time about, you know, jumping markets and the bigger the market. My two best experiences were my smaller markets in Utica and Knoxville. It's a tiny world. And I've always told people along my career path, never burn a bridge in this industry because it's such a small industry. And then now look at neither of us are even in TV news anymore and our paths are still crossing. And so it's (laughs) that's where networking really comes in. That's exactly right. I love it. So I don't want to take too much more of your time. So I have one more question for you. And, you know, you had a, a really long career as a journalist and you now have a career coaching, marketing, you're an entrepreneur. So what is a, is a piece of advice that you have for our listeners about marketing themselves and their businesses and getting their stories out there, getting their stories told? First, I would say just, and this isn't exactly answering your question, but one thing I want your listeners to know is that you're not a one trick pony. You have a lot of skills that you may not even know or that you may not even realize you're using. So that's what I leaned into when I left TV news, because I thought that's all I could do. And I realized I am an entrepreneur. I do love helping others. I do love coaching. I just wrote a book. Actually, I was in Nashville last weekend for a book signing. I became a best-selling author uh, when it came out in August. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I've got a podcast that I'm hoping to launch in the next month or so. So I have a lot of different irons in the fire because I thought, again, you only get one life to live. Go all in, right? Go for it. So part of that then is you talk about branding and marketing. Like, how do you do that? I'll be honest with you. I sat down and really, okay, I didn't sit down. I stood up. I got these ridiculous, huge post-it notes. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're like three foot by two foot. You put them up on your wall and literally the wall of my of my office, my husband walked in. He's like, um, what happened in here? I'm like, I'm brainstorming. Like I'm putting them <laughs> all out there, right? Now I've used Miro to create mind maps and things like that. I don't know if you've ever used Miro, but I had it all out like, okay, who am I? Like, let's strip everything. But like, who am I? What is my brand? Who is my avatar? Like, who do I want to focus on, right? So I got really deep in some avatar work going, okay, who is it that I want to focus? Who do I want to talk to? Whether it's in my content that I put out there, whether it's in my marketing materials, like, who is that? And so I came up with, I wanted a woman probably 30s to 40s who's been in television. They probably have kids and they realize you can't keep the juggle going. They're going to drop a plate. They're juggling these plates. Something's going to crash and burn. But what else is out there? Now, I started with that avatar named Tiffany. I named her. And, but Tiffany then has expanded because I now have men that I work with. I have producers I work with, not just on-camera journalists, but people who are behind the scenes. I've worked with assistant news directors who are like, I see the crazy. I need out. Right? <laughs> so I've worked with everybody in the industry. But I started with a very tight niche, and I knew exactly who it was I was targeting, and who I was, what I was bringing to the table. And that's kind of how I built it out and started my personal marketing plan. You have a lot to offer our listeners. Where can they find you? Obviously, on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, my favorite 
Sandbox to play in. Yes, you'll find me there at Sarah Davenport. No H, S-A-R-A. Or you'll find me at sarahdavenport.net. And that's mainly where my career coaching, my on-camera coaching, all of that lives in there. I've got a book out. You can find it on Amazon called Living All Out. And I collaborated with about 19 other women who made a massive pivot in their life to design a life they loved. And then my podcast is coming out. And uh, the name is still in the works, but I think it's going to be Mic Drop Moments basically shining the light on the newsroom darkness. So that is going to be a little bit of what's to come. Very cool. I'll have to check out the book and definitely we'll be waiting for the podcast to come out. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you listeners for tuning in. You can also follow Fletcher Marketing at Twitter handle Fletcher PR and follow our CEO Kelly at Twitter handle KD Fletcher. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and you guessed it, LinkedIn. And you can follow the hashtag misinterpreted to follow along with our podcast. Until next time, thank you. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 